I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Hello, and welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Today, as promised, we are going to discuss the Walt Disney Company. They've been on the news a lot lately, and it's a fascinating story. To start, Sienna, why don't you give us a quick background of the company? Okay, so as probably everyone knows, the company was founded by Walt Disney. He began his career in animation in 1920, and after some kind of on and off, will I work in this, will I work in cinematography, will I work with these people, will I work with those people, he did end up founding a company, and that company released Snow White, their first popular feature-length cartoon, which was actually one of the first feature-length cartoons to be produced, period, and it was certainly the uh, the first to receive wide acclaim across society. So that was uh, released in 1937, and then the company continued to release mostly animated works from 1941 to 1981. There was a relative decline in the success and production level of animated films. So what that means is that, you know, there were more animated films released, but the company also began focusing more on uh, live action movies. And they also started getting into the theme park industry. So Disneyland was established in 1955 and Disney World opened in 1971, which was actually six years after Disney himself died. And then in the 1970s and 80s, Disney World tickets and sales from older films like those live action films like Snow White uh, made up most of the company's financial success. However, in the early 80s, Disney's son-in-law, Ron Miller, founded Touchstone Pictures, which is a Disney subsidiary producing films that are more targeted at an adult audience, but the Disney logo is not associated with these films so as to preserve the family-friendly branding. And then in the 90s, Disney returned to more blockbuster animated films. So that includes The Little Mermaid, The Lion King, etc. And also in 1995, there was a landmark where the company began using computer animation um, with the collaboration with Pixar in creating Toy Story. And that partnership obviously continued over the next several years. And then over the last 20 years or so, Disney has opened more theme parks uh, around the world, expanded the theme parks that they already had. They've also developed cruise lines, purchased more broadcasting TV capacity, and have started producing musical theater, because why not? And in 2005, Robert Iger became the CEO of Disney. He oversaw a massive expansion of Disney properties. Um, so that would include a lot of things that we're very familiar with, buying Lucasfilm, the studio that produced Star Wars, Marvel, Cinematic Universe, and Pixar. So that's been responsible, obviously, for a massive amount of their new movies in the last several years. It's mainly been a lot of Pixar movies, Star Wars movies, Marvel movies, and TV shows, of course. And then in 20. 2020, Iger stepped down and was replaced by Bob Chapek. However, that decision was then reversed in late 2022 due to a whole lot of problems. Um, a lot of them were because of the obvious uh, economic harms that came with the pandemic. Chapek's leadership strategy was not um, seen as particularly impressive by a lot of people, and he encouraged 
a lot of layoffs and cost-cutting measures. So obviously that alienated the people who worked at Disney, but it also alienated the people who liked to, say, go to Disney World because ticket prices were going up and what you got for the price of a ticket was going down. Things like food getting more expensive, random add-ons so that, oh, well, now you, you have to stand in a three-hour line. Or you could get this add-on for $40 a person and go straight to the front of the line. And just things like that. So... He was not very popular. And obviously, as you can see, he only lasted like two years. And then I do have an interesting note here that uh, I think will sort of allow us to transition into talking about our main focus of today, which is from the LA Times talking about Chapik's chief of communications. Chapik brought in a former BP oil executive, Jeff Morrell, as his new communications and government relations chief. Morrell, a former Pentagon press secretary who also worked as a journalist at ABC News, also had a large portfolio. And he tried to manage the company's response to Florida's parental rights and education law, which critics derisively nicknamed Don't Say Gay legislation. After weeks of staying silent on the legislation, Chapik reversed course and condemned the bill, handing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis a win. The governor blasted Disney, saying Florida would not bend to a woke company. DeSantis moved to have Disney's special self-governing status near Orlando revoked. He pulled off something that very few people could have done. He managed to offend both the DeSantis MAGA crowd and also the Civil Liberties crowd. It was handled so badly that he alienated both communities. All right. So in my research, I guess I hadn't been like following this closely, but things started getting contentious between Disney and DeSantis apparently in early 2021 when DeSantis signed an executive order ending emergency COVID orders in Florida. Um, because the order affected only government ordinances, but not private businesses, Disney kept their mask mandate in place. And then that same summer, Disney instituted a vaccine mandate, but ended it in November of that year, 2021, because DeSantis signed legislation barring businesses from requiring all employees to get vaccinated. So there was a little bit of like power struggle going on there around COVID restrictions. Obviously, DeSantis gained a ton of attention and momentum from kind of hitting Republicans against health measures during COVID. So fast forward to spring 2022, as Sienna mentioned, there was that whole hoopla around the don't say gay bill, which says a school district may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels. So there was a lot of dissatisfaction among Disney fans and employees who were part of the LGBTQ community in, you know, Disney not responding immediately. As we mentioned, the whole thing was not handled particularly well. When Disney did eventually speak out against the bill, they said that they had signed the human rights campaign statement opposing similar legislative efforts and that Disney would pledge $5 million to organizations working to protect LGBTQ rights, which presumably is what got under DeSantis's skin, this statement. So Sienna mentioned the tax status that Disney had. It's basically been allowed to function as its own municipal government. It's between two counties, and this area is called the Reedy Creek Improvement District, and they've basically been allowed to make their own decisions on planning and permitting processes for construction, levy taxes to pay for its fire and medical response services, even to generate some of its own electricity. So they have saved millions of dollars annually in fees and taxes because they had this designation. DeSantis decides he's going to revoke it, presumably to punish Disney for speaking out. but. 
doing so would have transferred the billion or so dollars in debt that Disney had to the surrounding counties, which would not have gone over that well from those counties would have had a lot of backlash. People would have probably been mad at DeSantis for this. So, right. The reason that this thing exists in the first place is because Disney is running this absolutely giant, incredibly expensive operation that basically does function like its own city. Like they have employee housing. They've got all this stuff going on. They do do it like their own garbage, water, all of that stuff. So it exists because it makes sense for it to essentially be circulating its own funds within that area instead of making taxpayers pay for this giant, giant situation. And we know that DeSantis is base, not big fans of paying taxes. So what they decide to do instead is they held a special session in February and decided to allow the park to keep its district. But they took away Disney's ability to appoint board members and instead gave DeSantis the power to appoint members himself. What most people didn't know then, but we all know now, is that at a public meeting in early February, before DeSantis took control of the board, the Disney-controlled board passed covenants that gave the company control over future construction until, quote, 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, King of England, living as of the date of this declaration. It also prohibits the tax district from using Disney name or characters without approval. Now, things have ramped up. DeSantis is requesting an investigation into Disney's effort. Because, you know, he looks like an absolute moron. Right. Everybody's laughing at him now. More people are laughing at him now. And now Bob Iger, who, as Sienna mentioned, is back as Disney's CEO, has called DeSantis anti-business and anti-Florida. It's very easy to look at this situation, what it has kind of become and say, oh, this is great. This company has like stood up for LGBTQ rights, has gone up against DeSantis, but there's a flip side of all of this. A lot of people over the years have not felt, not just in not responding quickly enough, but the whole assortment of things that Disney has not been the ally that they would have wanted them to be. When Disney pledged that money to support human rights campaign and other organizations, HRC said they would refuse to take it until they saw Disney build on their public commitment and work with LGBTQ advocates. On top of all of that, according to the accountability news site, Popular Information, and I have a link to this article, in the last couple of years, Disney had donated $197,162 to members of the Florida legislature that had already voted for don't say gay legislation, including two sponsors of the bill. What are some other, I know you have had really mixed feelings over the years about Disney. What are some of the other things that have frustrated you as an LGBTQ person? Well, you know, for me, the main sort of thing that I have experienced and have sort of dug into has been the sort of really incredibly wishy-washy approach that Disney has consistently taken across their properties to queer representation in, you know, in, in TV shows and movies interestingly less so in books because you know the people who read books are gay i guess um or some of the people that support anti-gay legislation don't read a lot of books <laughs> so i mean yeah it's it's very frustrating because i'm sure everyone can think of like at this point like three or four different times disney has been like 
this movie will feature the first openly gay character. And you're like, what, what, what about the last one? Because that was stupid and it happened, but it was, it was bad representation. Like what's an example. So I think the first time that I remember them doing this was with the live action Beauty and the Beast, which, you know, perfectly adequate live action remake, I guess, you know, it's pretty to look at and whatever. I mean, again, a whole different conversation. I could talk about the remakes thing, but I'm not going to. But yeah, so leading up to the release of the movie, Disney was making this huge deal out of it will have the first gay character and it will have an exclusively gay moment. And it turns out that the exclusively gay moment was, I haven't timed it, but 0.5 seconds, perhaps, of Gaston's sidekick LeFou dancing with some random man. And they exchanged, like, a smoldering look. Oh, yes, the smoldering look. (laughs) So, you know, my metric is really, it's, it's significant gay representation if my girlfriend notices it. Because she tends to sort of, you know, like she'll be watching a movie and be paying half attention. If there's a two seconds or under clip of something gay, she's not going <laughs> to notice it. Um, so suffice it to say, she did not notice that. Like the low attention span rule for gay representation. Yeah, there you go. Right. So there was that one. There was the one in Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, where again, they did the, there will be a special gay moment. And once again, I think it was a blink and you'll miss it kiss between two women in one of these kind of party type scenes after everybody, like, I don't know, stuff got blown up or whatever. I don't know if I've mentioned my, my ranking in terms of mediums and their inclusivity, but in general, I've noticed that movies tend to be the least inclusive of queer characters. TV shows tend to be like kind of in the middle and then books are the most inclusive. So in your TV shows, it's again, kind of a mixed bag, but Marvel Runaways that first came out in 2017. So not a super long time ago, but before some of the weirdness around advertising and that actually had a queer love story between two of the main characters. Although interestingly, that was created specifically for Hulu but I believe it's now on Disney+. Plus. So anyway, and then, yes, books, as I mentioned, there's actually been a couple of different series like by Disney Publishing where they have hired very openly queer authors whose books, the books that they've published um, have all been relatively queer. Um, so some examples of that, Mackenzie Lee, who wrote A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, is doing a series about Marvel antiheroes. And in that series, there's a book about Loki, where Loki is very explicitly queer and gender fluid. And similarly, there is a series um, that's basically just Disney princes um, by the author Lindsay Miller, who has written a lot of very like queer books, books with non-binary characters, and um, also uh, dealing with asexuality. And all of those themes are also present in the book in that series that I have read. So, you know, that's kind of, again, an interesting observation. Speaking of Loki, this is another example of representation that I found incredibly frustrating was, again, like in the lead up to the the Loki TV show, there was a whole like, oh, Loki is going to be bisexual in this TV show. Exciting, exciting. And you're like, okay, awesome. That's great. I like, obviously Loki is queer. And then they release the TV show and everybody's like, wow, perhaps Mobius is the love interest. No, the love interest is Loki from another universe. Female Loki from another (laughs) universe, to be clear. 
How is, I, I just want to say like, how is that less uncomfortable than gay? <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, it, it's so weird. And so the, the confirmation of Loki's bisexuality in the show was just this throwaway line about like, they're, they're discussing whatever. And they're like, and, and Sylvie female Loki is like, Oh, there must have been plenty of would-be princesses and princes. And he says, oh, a bit of both. That's the conversation. And to me, I want to be clear, it's not that bisexual characters have to always be in a relationship with someone of the same gender, because that's not how bisexuality works. But what's frustrating to me is these awkwardly worded lines that get stuck in in such a way that it, it just feels like it's designed to be like easily removed or easily mistranslated or easily erased. It feels like a lot of this representation is trying really hard to like toe the line between give like throwing people a bone so that they'll be like, look, it's gay and also not offend anyone. And that's so frustrating because art is going to offend people sometimes. Like that's just how it works. And if people don't have strong opinions on the art that you're creating, you're doing it wrong. That's true. That's a good point. It's, I mean, it's hard. I can imagine that it's hard for companies when you're trying to be progressive, whether that's because you believe in the progressive cause, whether that is because you think it's a sound marketing decision, whatever the reason, you know, you're going to have some like quote unquote celebrity coming out of the ground to like try to make himself relevant by shooting beer cans. You know, like somebody's going to freak out about woke Disney or whatever. And I guess I guess there's there's advertising in that there is publicity in that. But I can see how you're always trying to like very carefully fit into the the safe zone. But I also hear what you're saying that like, we don't want the safe zone. We want art. We want representation. We want you to actually go out on a limb for us because it's meaningless unless you're going out on a limb for us. Right. And also, let's be honest, the safe zone doesn't make interesting movies. Like there have been so many movies that have come out in recent movies and TV shows that have come out in recent years where I look at it and I'm like, oh my goodness, think about how much more emotional and resonant and incredible this would have been if you had just allowed it to sort of move into this queer storyline that, I mean, people are picking up on and people are looking at it and saying, well, this is very obviously like, it wants to be queer. A couple of examples. So thinking about the Captain Marvel movie, where a lot of people were looking at Captain Marvel and her best friend who she sort of reunites with back on Earth and thinking, oh my goodness, this seems not only like they have a really close relationship that could very easily be a romantic relationship, but also imagine the dramatic potential for these two characters who have been separated for years and the idea because it's set in the 80s of course so imagining then this other character who is back on earth and has lost the love of her life but can't tell anyone about it like I mean imagine the potential there and they just you know just gloss right over it um another example would be um Raya and the Last Dragon where I mean let's be honest like one of the, the, the character just looks like she should be queer, not to stereotype, but like, I look like I'm queer. She looks like she's queer. First of all, what an amazing opportunity for some South Asian queer representation, which is like basically non-existent in pop culture. But also, again, 
like this opportunity for this love story between these two characters and this kind of story about betrayal and love and learning to trust one another and just this opportunity that just gets completely lost. I mean, another really obvious one, I suppose, would be Frozen, where people watched the first movie and were like, oh my goodness, this is like so, this is so obviously could be a metaphor for queerness, this idea of having to conceal yourself and not let people see what's really going on inside you. And to be fair, people also interpreted it as Elsa potentially being asexual, which I think is an equally valid interpretation. But Disney in, you know, making Frozen 2, again, didn't really take either of those routes and didn't do as much with Elsa's character as they could have, in my opinion. It doesn't have to be a love story again, but something to do with that, something to do with her, you know, sort of extending that metaphor. Let me rack my brain because we've agreed that for whatever reason, Frozen 2 is one of the most forgettable plot lines I have (laughs) ever watched and it's not even like it's bad like the music is no, fine. the animation is lovely but yeah for whatever reason you're like what what is this everybody's like wait what happened in frozen 2 <laughs> I, I saw it described as like the movie that everybody saw and yet no one remembers <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was a little bit of a side anyway but i mean again so much potential with this character that sort of goes untapped what like, another example i have so many examples because i feel like it's been happening with increased frequency uh, recently. Is this everybody or just Disney? I mean, it seems like it's mostly Disney. It could be because I've seen a lot of the Disney movies, but to me, it seems like it's a lot. Well, and Disney just happens to be incredibly prolific, right? Your major wow. franchises, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar. But um, so the uh, the movie Luca that came out a year and a half ago, a lot of people, again, interpreted um, the best friend character in that as having romantic feelings for it. At, Romantic feelings in a cute little kid way, which is a thing that exists and it's not supposed to be an epic love story, but the potential there for like dealing with, oh, this is my best friend, but I have these complicated feelings for him. And it seems like he's more interested in hanging out with this girl. That's a really interesting story to explore. And it just seems like there is an absence of interest in exploring those stories in favor of being sort of safe in the safe zone. I mean, and kind of on the flip side, To me, a really excellent example of queer representation by Disney has been The Owl House, which is a TV show that, unsurprisingly, Disney canceled and gave like a stupid three episode season three. In that show, the protagonist, Luce, is bisexual, and I thought it is handled incredibly well because her love interest throughout the the main show is another girl, but she there is a moment where she talks about like this, this turns out it's not actually a prince, but she thinks it's a real prince, like being attractive. And it's not like forced. It's just like teenage girl talking about a cute boy. And then her love interest is a girl. And it's, it's incredibly natural. And weirdly what Disney got backlash for was it being a show about witchcraft. (laughs) Um, But even then, it's not as though the show has received a ton of backlash. So it's frustrating that there was this really good example of queer representation, but it hasn't received a ton of attention in pop culture and it has ended up getting canceled. What I'm hearing is that your beef with Disney when it comes to these issues is mostly about representation in the media they're putting out. Do you feel like you're upset with the way they've handled the political stuff or... Or to use it more of an artistic issue than 
than a political issue. I mean, I don't think they've handled the political stuff particularly well. I'm happy that they're like deciding to finally take a stand with DeSantis. Although to be honest, it seems like they really started taking a stand once he was being a jerk about their status, not so much when they were like a money thing. Yeah. And maybe an ego thing and maybe just like guys having a little bit of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in general, like, as you pointed out, like they're donating loads of money to Republicans who are actively trying to take away gay rights as well and trans rights. So it's not I wouldn't say I'm happy with that either. It just really bothers me in particular that they are having such a struggle with queer representation in the media that they're producing, because it's not just bad representation and it's not just letting their audience down in terms of the audience having representation. It's just bad business because, again, there are these stories to exp- and you're not exploring them. You're sort of abandoning your cr- mission as creatives in favor of your mission as a corporation. And I think a lot of and obviously I'm not trying to, like, idolize Walt Disney here. Like, he, he, he you know, white man from the 1920s, like, um, says condescendingly. <laughs> but one of his values was always trying to prioritize making art and making movies over profit. Mm. And like, that's pretty well established in the people who knew him and the the statements that he gave. And so, I mean, to me, it's also just a fundamental betrayal of the origins of this company that has made some really spectacular works of art as well as a betrayal in terms of a company that has a really substantial amount of political and cultural power. If like today you could come up with like Disney, here is your your plan for being a good ally. This is this is the business plan. Okay, we'll stop donating to Republicans. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> I would say anytime that you are having pride merchandise, you want to also be partnering with queer organizations, I would say ideally local organizations, right? Like you're in Florida, there is such an opportunity there for helping queer organizations. Like that would be really amazing. And then on the the kind of media artistic side, first of all, stop firing people who want to make things gay. Quickly elaborate. Basically, there's a Marvel executive um, who claims to have been fired uh, after wanting there to be more gay representation. Not a ton of details out about that, but so, and also not having the same people writing things over and over again, right? You see this, this might be controversial, but I think that like Lin-Manuel Miranda's original few works were incredible. And then they've just been running him through the ringer over and over again and making him crank out stuff. And it just becomes less and less interesting and more and more generic I take it you did not spend weeks with We Don't Talk About Bruno on repeat. It was perfectly catchy. I don't think it is, like, in terms of craft, at quite the same level. It doesn't feel as fresh or original as something like Hamilton or even like the music in Moana. And it's not that I think Lin-Manuel Miranda should stop writing things. But I think if you hire a more diverse team of creatives and let them collaborate and bounce off one another and create new things, you end up with products like the Owl House, which is not made by really, really like famous kind of tried and true, I suppose, people. It's it's relatively a relatively newer, not newer, but less known um, set of producers. So another example, this one isn't Disney, but I think it's sort of what Disney should be aiming for is something like Heartstopper. 
which is based on a graphic novel that is based on a webtoon. So this was not like a mass produced thing to begin with. And it's an incredibly fresh and original story. And you watch it and you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Oh, that's so nice. That's not what I was expecting at all. That makes me so happy. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for art that makes me think, wow, that's not what I was expecting. It makes sense with the story, but it's not, it's new. It's new and interesting. Voices that haven't been molded by the industry so much. Right. Because I feel like half the time I feel like I watch, I watch movies in particular and things like Star Wars and Marvel that are sort of operating within relatively constrained universes. And I'm like, I just sort of feel like I'm watching the same thing over and over again, but with a different color scheme. And it's just not fun to watch as a consumer. And I think by bringing in new voices, by bringing in queer voices, by bringing in more um, voices of color, by bringing in uh, disabled voices, like you're not only going to naturally increase diversity, but you're going to like improve your product as well. Well, I guess we can hope that if this feud gets big enough, maybe these changes will all happen just because Iger wants so desperately to make DeSantis as mad as he possibly can. One can certainly hope. Who knows? Time will tell, but it is definitely entertaining to sit back and watch. And I'm curious to see where this goes next. Indeed. Progress doesn't happen because the hard work of organizers protests. Progress happens because of white men having arguments. And money. And money. Money, money. All right. Well, that's Disney in a nutshell. That's a That was a lot of history and there, there was a lot there. I don't know. You'd still call yourself a Disney fan, bottom line, right? It's It's very complicated. Like, I will watch Disney movies. I find them entertaining. I will watch Disney-owned properties. I do quite enjoy Marvel, and I do quite enjoy Star Wars. You definitely go to Disney World, right? I mean, I would go to Disney World. That has more to do with me being addicted to theme parks and thrill rides. <laughs> but again, that sort of ties back to that idea of Disney sort of made a name for itself by creating innovative forms of art and by serving their consumers. Um, and one of the things people have always really liked about Disney World is the level of service and the level of joy that it brings. And this emphasis on money, 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 st- towing the line so that we're not losing any any sponsors or anything like that, it's hurting everyone and it ties into this issue in so many different ways. They really, like the best way that Disney can be progressive at this point is to circle back to their original mission. It's absolutely like, 100%. Well, we'll see. Disney, here's hoping. We're counting on you. We're counting on a happy ending. to this story all right well thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed it and on our next episode we are going to talk about terms that are commonly used in the lgbtq community especially among young people that have other people scratching their heads and saying what does that mean like for instance gay panic (laughs) i'm not sure what you're saying when you say that that sounds like a bad thing to me but i hear it's not So we are going to take that on. If you have any specific things that have come up talking to your kids or things you wish your parents knew, like go ahead and tell us what those phrases are. We will see you then. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, take care. Be kind. Catch you later. All right. If you would like to hear more from us, follow us on Instagram at queerkid.straightmom, Facebook at queerkid.straightmom, Twitter. Catch Queer Kids Straight Mom, that's straight, that's spelled S-T-R-8. 
And if you would like to support us so that we can keep bringing you content like this, consider donating to us on Patreon at Queer Kid, Straight Mom. And if you are enjoying our podcast, please rate, review, and follow us on your preferred podcasting platform.